want to give you a different um, side of service today because we focus, just so we had, in order to do the ministries we do at the church, we focus so much on in-church ministries, but there's a whole world out there that needs servants. And some of you already get it because you serve at your, at your child's school, you volunteer on a committee, you volunteer with scouts, with parks and recreation, you may go to the hospital or, or a, um, a care facility and volunteer, an animal shelter. I mean, you're out there in the community and I applaud you because not only do they need servants, but that gets you in a place where people not only can see what you do, but, see, but hear why you do it and hopefully bring them to the Lord through your service. And so if you just look all around us, there are servant opportunities everywhere. God has called us to be servants. And he, um, I think he highlights this aspect of getting out into the world in the Sermon on the Mount real clearly through um, an analogy he uses with some common household elements. Here they are. He says in the Sermon on the Mount, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall it how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Two very ordinary objects, salt and light, and Jesus compares us to them, but he says... You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. The earth you used to be part of, the world you used to belong to, I pulled you out of it. And I'm doing something in you so you can go back as different people and make an impact on the places where you touch. In fact, God has made you different in order to make a difference. You've been made different to make a difference. You are not of the world anymore. You belong to the Lord. And you're being used by God to make a difference in other people's lives. But as we engage in this world, we need to be cautiously connected to it. And I say cautiously uh, because there's some dangers and there's some fears of being connected to the world. See, the Bible says that we should be aware of the world, but at the same time, be in the world. Be aware of the world, but be in the world. And we see this in Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's found in John 17, and this is a portion of the prayer. He says to his father, I do not ask that you take them, meaning his followers, out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So he says, I could extract these people from the world and, and go off in the desert or take them to heaven, but no, no, no. I want to send them back into the world, but it's a bad world because there's an evil one out there. This world, Scripture says, is ruled by the prince of darkness. There's a God of this age who believes this place belongs to him, who believes that the people on this planet belong to him, not to the Lord. And what Jesus is doing is sending us back in to do what he was doing, reclaiming the territory for the Lord, reclaiming the hearts and the souls of people that rightfully belong to him because he made them in his image. And so God is working through us to do that. But, but we have to be careful. We don't want to be drawn into the world. We don't want to be drawn back into the darkness of the world, into the decay of the world. And we have to be cautious of how we interact with this world. The values that Satan has promulgated in this planet. I mean, just listen to the music and the media and the commercials and the TV shows and, the, and listen to the music and the books being written and things that are popular in our culture. And they are not the values typically that God promotes. They're not. In, in fact, there's a, there's a movie that, that was advertised that this is the next great movie, you know, hitting the, hitting the screen uh, right now, and it's called Venom, subtitled Let There Be Carnage. 
Now that sounds uplifting. Family film, right? It's my Marvel. Let there be carnage. You want to raise your kids to say, hey, mom, dad, let there be carnage. But, but, but we're going to accept that and go, well, that's just a movie. But, but that's the common theme. Violence, rebellion, sex, self-gratification, it's everywhere. You see it on commercials. You, you see it on TV shows. We're bombarded by it, and it's hard to fight against it because, because God is, has trained us, in a sense, or is training us to be like special ops. We're a, we're a special unit that God says, okay, I've drawn you away to equip you to go back in on a rescue mission because there are people who are trapped in this culture that need to be rescued, and I'm going to use you to reach them. You have to be careful, though. It says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is his good and acceptable and perfect will. You know, I believe that many of us uh, would call ourselves Christians, and, and we do look like Christians at church, but we don't look like Christians outside the church. Why? Because we've adopted the values of the world. We enjoy the things of the world. We don't look any different than the world. In fact, I would call us chameleons, chameleon Christians. I'm one color at church. I'm another color in the culture. And I would say this. If, if the people you live with and the people you work with and the people you go to school with do not know you follow Jesus, I mean seriously follow Jesus, that he's the center of your life, if they don't know that, you're not doing a good job of living it out. Because it should be apparent. People should look at us and go, man, that guy doesn't do what, what we all do, doesn't, doesn't enjoy what we all enjoy. Why is that? What's the reason for that? Well, I, I made a commitment to Jesus and I don't need that to be happy. I'm happy already. I'm filled with joy. He's put joy in my heart. I don't need the drugs or alcohol or whatever it is that gives you joy. I don't need the pornography. I don't need all those things. I'm different, and I've, made, I've been made different to make a difference. So you have to be careful not to be influenced too much by the world, but here's another danger. We want to get away from it then, like withdraw from it, but don't withdraw from the world. People have done that through history. In Jesus' day, there was a group called the Essenes. The Essenes saw the Jews that lived in Rome being influenced by Rome and said, hey, guys, we got to get out of here. We've got to establish our own community so we can hold on to the truths of our faith. And so they established a community near the Dead Sea. That's where you may have heard the Dead Sea Scrolls. They're the ones who wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls. They were a community that was very isolated. And we see that in groups like the Amish. I was up in Montana one summer working. There was a group called the Hooterites. And, uh, and these groups in order to maintain their values, have said, you know, we're not going to engage in culture very much, as little as possible, because we want to maintain our values. And I think that's beautiful to a degree. But what happens often is, but we're not going to engage in that world. We're not going to mingle with them. And how can you witness to people if you never make contact? Salt isn't any good if it's not touching something. Light isn't any good unless it's in the darkness. God wants us not to withdraw from the world, nor does he want us to be hostile toward it. There's plenty of reasons to get angry with the world. Government, what's happening sometimes in sports, uh, education, business, Wall Street, big pharma. I mean, over and over again, there's stuff that really <laughs> makes our blood boil. I go, man, I just hate that. You know, that wasn't the way it used to be. Now it is, and I'm just, I'm just so sick of it. I'm going to go to another country, but beware. You're going to probably experience similar things in other countries. It's because Satan has such an influence on our culture. But here's the danger. We may think that we are at war with the world, and we're not. The world is not your enemy. You know what Scripture says about our enemy? We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers in the spiritual realm. 
Satan is our enemy. Satan and his forces and his legions of, of high-level spiritual beings, says, that's our enemy. It's not the world. We're not to be angry at the world. You know what Jesus' attitude was toward the world? John 3, 16. For God so loved who? The world. God so loved the world. Now, I would admit, when the Bible talks about the world, there's two different definitions. Actually, there's more than that, but two primary. One is that world means a system of thought, a way of living, a set of cultural values, philosophies, and all that. That we are not to embrace. Don't embrace. Those things are going to pass away, the Bible says. They're not going to last. Don't, don't adhere to those. But over here is the world of people. Often people who hold to those values of the world, and yet we're to love those people. Jesus didn't exclude anybody from his love, right? God so loved Christians. God so loved good people. No, God so loved who? Who? The world. God so loved the world. Even the most despicable people, God still loves and sent Jesus to die for. What God wants us to do is influence the world by our presence. Influence it by your presence. We can readily acknowledge that God so loved the world, he sent Jesus as a gift to die on a cross for our sins so we could be redeemed, right? Jesus is the gift from God sent into the world. But think about this. Jesus says, okay, it's now my turn. I'm going to send you into that world. You are a gift to the world. You are God's gift to this world. Do you realize that? You are not here just to take up space. You are here and have been redeemed and reformed, rebuilt, and released as God's gift into this world. You are salt and you are light in order to have a positive impact wherever you go. See, God wants you to have an impact. God wants you to have an impact. And I want to share with you just a little bit about these two word pictures, the salt and the light. First, salt. We're to be like salt. When Julie and I drove to California this past summer, we drove through Utah and we saw salt flats. We saw mounds and mounds of white stuff that looked like snow. I thought, I, you could ski on those hills of salt. But you know, when I looked at that salt, I, I didn't have a good feeling inside. I didn't have a feeling like, man, I'd like to go eat all that salt. No. It's kind of disgusting. Like, man, there's just mounds and mounds of salt. That doesn't sound good. It's not like sugar. You see a mound of sugar, baby, bring that. You know, it makes the medicine go down, but not salt. Not salt. Sugar's different. Salt isn't really that good all by itself. And when Jesus brought up this analogy of salt, you have to think of the context. Because in those days, they didn't have refrigerators. You wanted to preserve your food, particularly the meat, you packed it with salt. Because salt has the ability to, to fight off bacteria and decay. And it made it last longer. Probably made it taste pretty good too. But you packed it with salt. Salt is a preservative. So what Jesus is saying is this. You as my followers are a preserving agent in the culture. If you are not here engaged in the culture, you think it's bad now, it'll get horribly bad. It will slide off the rails. You go to countries right now where God has been excluded. I think it was Solzhenitsyn that said, you know, Russia's big decision was when God got removed, that's when the slide happened. You know, we just, we, there's nothing to stop the, the, the path the world's moving in. And if it's not for Christians, you know, who, who else is going to fight for the unborn child? Who's going to fight for the institution of marriage? Who, who's going to fight for the identity of little boys and little girls? Who's going to fight for freeing slaves and fight sex trafficking and all these things? Who, who, are, who are the ones going to rise up and say, that's not right? 
We shouldn't be doing that as a nation. There are consequences, not only spiritual consequences, but sometimes physical and financial and cultural consequences if we go down this path. God put us here to preserve the good things of our culture, also called us to preserve people. Because when you bring a person to Jesus, you preserve them for eternity. But but salt also has the ability to season things. We have a whole shelf of of, uh, spices, and a lot of them have salt in it. Because salt makes things taste better. Vegetables, meat, makes everything. Popcorn. Hey, I think of popcorn without salt. French fries without salt. Oh, come on. That's a crime. Got to have the salt. Give me salt. I want salt. Makes things. I don't want just the salt by itself. I want the salt on the things because it makes those things taste better. You are a seasoning. You make things better. You're part of a club. You're part of a school. You're part of a neighborhood group. You're, you're part of a, a job. You're part of a church. Wherever you are, you should be bringing something good to it. You should make it better because of your presence. So we are the salt. Now, in order for salt to have an impact, it has to have contact with something. It has to get out of the salt shaker. So that's what we do. We've got to get out of the salt shaker so that God can use us to bless other people. And the primary way I believe that he blesses other people through us is through our speech. Paul was writing to the church in um, Colossae, and he says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. What does that mean to have speech seasoned with salt? Uh, When things are seasoned with salt, it makes you want more. Makes you want to eat more. When your words are seasoned with salt, it makes, it makes people say, tell me more. I want to hear more. It, it doesn't make people say, that's enough. You just be quiet. You know, shut that trap. You know, I don't want to hear from you anymore. And I think so often that we've got in a culture that's so hostile, that's so angry and bitter that we sometimes think, oh, I'm going to win that debate. I'm going to argue and prove my point. And we've got to move beyond winning debates to winning hearts. And we'll do it through grace-filled conversation that leads people to the grace giver, Jesus Christ. We are the salt. We're also the light of the world. Light, light dispels darkness. And Jesus said he came into the world to bring light into the darkness. He says, I've come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. The world is a spiritually dark place. What does that mean, um, spiritually dark? It means that we lack understanding. When you're in dark, you're like, I'm in a fog. I can't see. I don't, I don't know. And when people live in darkness, it's like, I don't know the truth. I don't know the way. I don't know the path. And so we end up just um, acting out of instinct, acting out of natural drives. That's why we, we follow our heart. We follow our hormones because we don't know better than that. But the Bible says that we are to bring light into the darkness. And again, context. What did that mean for Jesus' day? Did people go around flipping on light switches? Did they have bright LEDs? No, they didn't. They had a lamp with a wick in a little pool of oil. And you lit that, and you know, believe it or not, that little flame, as small as it was, could dispel darkness in a whole room. I've been in rooms where you just light a little candle and look around, you see shadows, you go, that little candle puts out a lot of light. Darkness doesn't dispel light. You can't make the room so dark it squashes the light, but you can bring light into a room and dispel the darkness. It is the, it is the advantage we have. God is behind you. God has given you a power greater than the darkness. And it's his light within you. God wants us to be lights in the darkness. And we do it by how we conduct ourselves. It says in Philippians 2, Paul gives these words. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. That's the darkness 
among whom you shine as lights in the world. Again, you are there to make a positive impact. People need to see Christians as positive influences. Glad that, glad that they have Christian employees. Glad that they have Christians supporting them. Glad, glad that they have Christians in their neighborhood. We, we are, shouldn't be known as obnoxious people. We should be known as gracious servants. And, and we're making everything better. People need to know what we're for more than what we're against. And as we do that, we need to be sure to point people to Jesus. Pointing the attention, not to ourselves, but to Jesus. Because Jesus says, as you shine your light before men, they will see your good works and glorify who? Your Father in heaven. They, are gonna, they may reward you, but that's not the goal. It's not, we're not doing it for recognition and reward. We're doing it to be seen by be seen as servants of him. It's him, not me. I used to be over here and he brought me over here so that I could be rebuilt to go back in there to show how good he is, not how good I am because it wasn't about me, it's all about him. God is doing something good in your life to make you good for someone else's life and we deflect the attention from ourselves to the Lord. A little bit later in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, beware practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Don't do it Uh, for public praise because then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven thus when you give to the needy sound no trumpet before you before you as the hypocrites do in their synagogue and streets that you they may be praised by others truly i say to you they have received their reward but when you give to the needy do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you you know we're part of the secret service We're, we're part of an army of people says, I'm not in it to, to let you know how great I am. I'm in it. I'm in it. I, I'd rather just blend into the background. I want people to see God and how awesome he is. And when we just serve out of that humble place, God does amazing things through us. And we see that all over our culture were humble servants. We didn't even know they were doing what they're doing because they didn't toot their horn. They didn't post it on Facebook. They didn't brag with others. Uh, I'd share with you, a week ago yesterday, there was a big event in our city and some of you saw the video at the start of our service. More than 3,000 volunteers from churches all over Colorado Springs, the Pikes Peak region, including Fountain Valley, um, went out into the community. And we helped clean up parks and do renovation projects at schools and help prepare things for people who have um, benevolence needs. And uh, some of us here in this church went over to Connections for Life as they do a lot of ministry to people in need. Some of us went down to the uh, prayer, the Gateway Prayer Garden just south of Love's there on Van Daly. And uh, just, just so much stuff happening in our community. There are opportunities all around us. Next week, we begin something we've been doing for a number of years, Operation Christmas Child. And you'll see shoeboxes out in the lobby and you'll be able to take them home and with, with your family or maybe with your grandkids, you put stuff in these boxes and they go out to underprivileged kids around the world so they can experience the love of Jesus from a stranger. It's a great opportunity. Then we do Thanksgiving baskets where, where we bring food together and turkeys and pies and stuffing and, and yams and all kinds of stuff to help a family celebrate Thanksgiving. And you may not even know the family it goes to. It doesn't matter. You're just here to serve. We're, we're being a blessing to the community. And you know what? The community has hundreds, thousands of needs. I met with the superintendent of Widesfield Schools a couple weeks ago, and he says, man, we want to partner with this church. You guys helped us with that backpack event. 
And we just have more things that are coming up in the future. And then we get this email Friday from the Whitefield School District that says, hey, in November we're having the Lego Robotics Tournament with Whitefield and Harrison School Districts. It's a Saturday event, and we're looking for volunteers to be judges, referees, and just provide general support. You know, if you're ever looking for, the, for an opportunity to be a witness in the world, here's the world, the culture saying, Christians, you guys are the best servants out there. We can't find them anywhere else. Would you guys come and help us? And so next week, we'll start letting you know how you can respond to that need. I mean, there are needs all around. All you have to do is drive through the city. Keep your eyes open. Don't go off to your little commune over here and hide. Keep your eyes open, and you will see and hear the needs. In fact, it's so amazing. A mom shared on Facebook this past, um, just a little over a week ago, that she took her son. Uh, she has a little boy, single mom, great little boy, incredible little boy. He's grown up in this church. He's about, I think he's about eight years old, maybe nine. And they go over to Chick-fil-A and they get the lunch. Every kid loves Chick-fil-A. And as they're driving away, and if you've been up on the Mesa, you've seen something like this. He sees a guy there with a sign. And it says, just hungry. So the little boy turns to his mom and says, Mom, I can get something to eat at home. Can I give him my dinner? And so here's a picture of this little boy. His name's Ryder. He's handing this man his lunch. And why did he do that? Because he's grown up in a place where he's heard every Sunday, it's more blessed to give than receive. Yes. And we should all be acting like this. I'm not saying that, that all of us give, give stuff away to the homeless because sometimes there's some other factors about it. What I'm just saying is, wouldn't it be great if we had a culture of young people all the way to older people who looked around and rather than criticizing the world and all that's bad, says, you know what? I know there's a lot of stuff that's wrong. I, I know there's a lot of stuff that's broken. But here's something I can do, and God has given me the ability to address that need. Do you think this world would be a better place? Yes, oh, it sure would. But how about, how about if the whole world's not going to do it? What if we do it? Yes, what if we leave this place as believers saying, you know what? I am a servant. I don't just serve in my church. I serve in my community, in my school, in my job. I am a servant. That is my identity. I just, I just look for places to serve because that's who I am. It's not just what I do. It's who I am. I've been made different to make a difference. And you have been made different 